0: Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 56, Toy Story 4 from 2019. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and Mike, before we introduce our guests, I also want to say we watched the
1: short film Lamp Life from this year, which does not have Tom Hanks in it. It has his brother Jim Hanks, and you said, I knew it, I knew something was wrong, and I said, yeah, it basically sounds like he has marbles in his mouth a little bit. Just like, it's there, but it's not there. It's close, but it's not close. But some great Bo Peep action, but we'll talk about that later. But with us tonight, we have the co-hosts of the Husbands Talking More or Less podcast. They're also our guests on the Too Fast, Too Forever podcast this entire higher summer and into the fall, really until Christmas, basically, we have Nigo Vasilo and Kevo Reese. Hello, guys.
2: Woo! So I just want to jump on for two seconds. Charlie Chaplin once lost a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest to his brother-in-law. Dolly Parton once lost a Dolly Parton drag queen contest to two drag queens of Dolly Parton. So, you know, sometimes even the real deal seems like a facsimile.
1: Oh, I get it. And Jim Hanks has done a lot of the voice work for, I think, all the Toy Story video games. Uh, It seems like the official stuff, there's this and there was like a, a video from 2000. That's the only quote unquote like official things that he's done. But like basically ever official videos or whatever. But almost every other place that you've seen Woody, it's been Jim Hanks. So he's done all right for himself.
3: Yeah, I definitely recognize his voice from the Disney
1: parks and the various Toy Story things from there.
2: Parades
1: and stuff. Absolutely. It's close. I mean, it's close. We are talking tonight... Mostly about Toy Story 4, Mike, a movie that you and I have already covered kind of in depth. We got philosophical with it over on Keanu Club, talking all
0: about Duke Kaboom, Yes, We Canada. Yeah, and we also talked about this over on The Contenders, right? Isn't that true? Is this one of the. Nope. Never mind. (laughs) Which one was that? League of Their Own. I'm sorry. Yeah, so Duke Kaboom, is uh, that was fantastic. It was great to focus on him for Keanu.
2: Wait, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. I have to, I have to, Nico. Did you confuse the plots of A League of Their Own in Toy Story 4?
0: (laughs) I just confused (laughs) which show we covered what movie on because it's just so much movies in my head. They all just sort of get uh, crosswired, but.
3: It would give a completely new meaning to This Used to Be My Playground. (laughs)
0: that's that's true too but not to sort of foreshadow too much i think this is sort of might end up being the forky show tonight sorry tom hanks
2: i thought that forky was quite literally the greatest character i could have imagined and then at the end of the movie they give me what is her name karen beverly is quite literally the most perfect fictional character i can imagine trash why am i alive
3: I spent the entire movie in love with Forky. That's so. what I say to myself in the mirror every morning.
0: I love it. I've seen this movie now about four, maybe five times since we got Disney+. Plus. I think it was like the movie I tested my streaming with because of the look of it with the 4K and everything. So, I mean, I never tire of watching uh, this one in particular. Well, by
1: talking about this one in particular, please, if people have not... Seen this movie yet? But I feel like there's a there's a there's a part in me that says everyone has seen every Pixar movie. That's not true, but I think that that's kind of
0: true. But if people have not seen Toy Story 4, please hit us with a quick plot summary. Okay. We start a few years ago where Bo Peep has been given away to another child. We pick up years later when the toys that we love are now hanging out at Bonnie's. Woody is being played with less and less. Bonnie has to go to kindergarten orientation. Woody sneaks along to make sure that she's okay. When they get back, he introduces the new friend that she made in class, Forky. He is a sentient spork. He thinks he's trash. Uh, For the next few days, Woody tries to keep him from throwing himself away. Bonnie and her family go on a little road trip until kindergarten begins in a week or so, and uh, Forky throws himself out the window. Woody goes after him. He sort of talks about how he used to belong to Andy, and he what's his purpose in life, and tries to get Forky to understand that he's not trash. He is now Bonnie's toy, one of the most important things uh, that belongs to her. Along the way, they track down Bonnie and her family at a carnival, but they also see a pawn shop, and in the window, they see Bo Peep's old lamp. Woody gets curious. They go inside. They meet Another toy, Gabby Gabby. She's interested in Woody's voice box. She has her creepy army of marionettes. Forky gets kidnapped or fork or <laughs> toy napped. Woody escapes into the playground across the street where he runs into Bo Peep. They are reunited. She explains that she's been on her own as a lost toy for the last few years and she's loving it. In the meantime, Buzz Lightyear mounts an escape mission where he goes after Woody following his inner voice. He runs into Key and Peel as stuffed animals at the carnival. Uh, um, They all escape and go meet up with Woody and Bo Peep as they try to rescue Forky from Gabby. They need the help of Duke Kaboom, voiced by Keanu Reeves, who's going to help them jump the gap into the display case. Uh, They have the key. Everything sort of goes wrong. Woody exchanges his voice box for Forky's freedom. Gabby wants to get a taken home by this child who frequents the store, the granddaughter of the owner and she gets rejected by that toy so she sort of has a change of heart she decides to run away with Woody and the gang they get to the amusement park they find a lost child, Gabby is comforting the child and finds a new home with that owner and goes off man so much happens eventually the other toys redirect the car back to the amusement park where everybody meets up to rescue Woody but Woody decides to stay behind as a lost toy with Bo Peep and he gives a sheriff badge to Jesse they go back with Bonnie and Forky and Bonnie doesn't really seem to mind that Woody's not around and he goes off on adventures where they liberate toys from the fairground and off into the sunshine set.
2: But wait, when did Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna play baseball?
0: <laughs> now I gotta keep all that other stuff You gotta in. keep it in, Mike, you gotta keep
1: <laughs> it in, you can't cut it out. Also, it's a nice plug for the contenders, it's great. So... As we said before, Mike and I have already spent like an hour talking about this movie, so let's start with you guys, Nico, Kevo. Tell us what your history is with the Toy Story franchise, if these are movies that like mean a lot to you. I know that you're big into pop culture, into animation and everything, and I wonder, do these films, does this franchise play a big role in your life? What did you think of this one? And then do you have a favorite part, each of you, of Toy Story 4?
3: Well, I know for me, for Kevo, I was definitely really, really, really into the original Toy Story. I was a really big fan of the Muppet Christmas special growing up, the Christmas toy. So the toys coming to life concept was already something that I was aware of and I thought it was really cool. And of course, everybody was obsessed with the fact that this thing was animated on computers and then they made a second one, which was very exciting. And then nothing for 10 years. And we actually, Nico and I both, have not re-watched Toy Story 3 since we saw it in theaters, and this was our first time watching Toy Story 4. Not for any, like, reason, which, we, we, we're busy, we produce a comic book, we have all these podcasts, so, like, we just don't tend to go out to movies very much, and then we just kind of forget that they happen unless we urgently wanted to watch it. We didn't really urgently want to watch this one. Toy Story 3, we thought, had been such a goodbye to the franchise, that I think we, like many, didn't understand why it came back. Would you agree, Nico?
2: Not only would I agree, watching this movie, I was pretty quickly disillusioned. My different experience is actually, as a kid, when it came out, I hated the first Toy Story. I loved Buzz. I liked Woody. I thought Rex was adorable, but I kind of thought it was an unlikable movie about unlikable
3: people. Oh yeah, in retrospect, I actually like Toy Story 1 the least. I find the story horrible to sit through sometimes.
2: So then Toy Story 2 comes along and I'm like, oh no, this one's really good. It has a Sarah McLachlan song on the soundtrack. It's got Kelsey Grammer killing it in the bad guy role. And those were things that you loved when you were 12. I uniquely did obsessively love Lilith Fair and Frazier. So it was a pretty good thing. And Joan Cusack, who didn't want to be Joan Cusack's BFF as a kid. So I was really... Ready to accept Toy Story 2 with all of my being. And then Toy Story 3 was sort of like the toy equivalent of emotional torture porn. I mean, it's the fault in our toy stars. Like, it's the fault in our glow stars, is really what it is. It's just sad for no fucking reason. So, okay. We go to watch this one, and I'm like, And within two minutes, I'm like, And then I wind up kind of like, But by the end, I found myself thinking, This is feels like 10 years later someone went back and said let's just try something new. Yeah, this really did feel like it was patching up the last remaining
3: holes from Toy Story 3. Everyone was still saying a lot of the usual, like, these toys just sit there, what is it like when your child grows up? Like, there were a lot of questions that I think Toy Story 4 answered and made being a toy seem a little less nightmarish. In some good ways, I feel like this pushed the idea of Toy Story to a place where now we can get a lot of little fun stories without it having to be so goddamn emotional emotional every single time. We never need to hear Andy's name again, I hope.
1: Andy's gone forever,
0: baby. And maybe Woody.
2: Oh, I doubt it. I think they just wanted to create the value of a dual narrative. You have two different environments now. You have the controlled environment of Bonnie's bedroom, and you have the extended environment of of the traveling carnival and i think with bonnie's bedroom you also have the added ability of bonnie's parents can always have another kid so bonnie can pass these toys down to a younger sibling and who knows maybe it'll be in 16 years and the child will be non-binary and that can be another cool way that toy story you know is revolutionary although hopefully it doesn't take that long to get a non-binary child in an animated movie but no i just generally felt like this was a good movie that didn't need to exist
0: well it's i never considered that they would go off and make, like, not just spin-offs, but, like, two sort of separate strings of toy story movies you have the woody on the road like you said and then you have maybe the gang in the bedroom and they don't have to intersect they could go off and make their own movies on their own and maybe maybe that was an idea that sort of felt like a resuscitation in a way to see if there's any life left and they squeezed a lot out of it but then there was like well you know maybe let's just put this in our back pocket instead of the garbage instead it's not uh, maybe they'll pull it out of the box in some rainy day again
1: on a recent episode of too fast too forever which is probably a month ago at this point because we're recording in advance but I talked about how there's 564 bits of trivia for this movie, which is far too many. Like, I, I Apple after for the Hanks one, so I have some of that. But one of the things in the trivia says there is no way that they can make a Toy Story 5 due to rewrites. And I'm like, a that's not trivia, but b that's also not true. I think what you're saying, I think that this is sort of like a farewell to Woody. We've moved beyond Andy. To your point, Kevo, like I think that there is, if they want to make a five, and I think we talked about this even on the Keanu Club episode. Like, I think if they wanted to make a five, they could. I just don't know that that Woody would be in it and then I guess the question then is do you make a Toy Story without Woody? Does this become a Fast and Furious situation where there's like The Rock and Vin Diesel have a fight and so then you have Buzz movies and Woody movies? Does that make sense? Probably not. I don't know but I wouldn't be against it. I don't think any of us really thought that this one was going to happen after we saw 3, right? Because 3 felt like the end. 3 was like, okay, Andy is gone. 3 is the catharsis. We're done. And then 10 years later after 3 in 2009 10 years later we get this one and not only does it feel like it belongs but it's great and so if they wanted to do another one if there's a a way to reincorporate woody or maybe do one without him i don't know i wouldn't be against a five i don't know that we need it but i also don't know that we needed this one and i loved it
3: well the thing is they were already even doing toy story stories before this movie came out they had a whole bunch of toy story shorts come out in the last decade they had at least two different abc specials a halloween one and a christmas one that were half an hour each
1: Yep, we covered those on here. There's, I think, three, like, little short guys, and then there was two that were, like, half an hour. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so they understand the viability of the stories. So I really do think that this was, as Mike said earlier, like a resuscitation or a repilot to be able to push this in a new direction where they can tell a lot more stories. I think they should probably rebrand to an overarching title of Toy Stories. And any movie or short or TV show that they want to do, they can do under the Toy Stories brand.
0: Yeah, and, there, and now with Disney Plus, that's sort of what they seem to be branching out and doing. Like with this new short that was exclusive, the Lamp Life one came out on Disney Plus. Then you have all the Forky to to Question shorts. Like it seems like they really wanted this brand to stick in people's minds, you know, in some way or the other. And this seemed like an, a good way to jumpstart it again for the next generation.
2: And I would point out that Tom Hanks himself said with the fourth one, we don't know if it's the last, we don't know if it's the beginning of a new generation. it all his only stipulation is it has to be quote worthwhile he specifically says that he was under the impression that four was never going to happen and look where they are and is specifically very positive not just about a five but about woody's involvement further and you know i guess if he thought coming
3: back to have his co-star be a literal piece of trash was worth coming back for for this there's probably decent hope
0: forky to me almost seems to be like the idea where they're like oh we gotta like do something more with this idea and base a whole movie around this character so toy story is like the perfect playground for something like forky i mean it just seems to me like that concept like that to me is what sort of re-engaged me i'll tell you that much as an adult all the questions it brings up and everything else like i'm almost too distracted by forky to be along for the rest of the ride
2: well and i think part of the thing is that toy story is meant in many and the creators have talked about it toy story is meant to in some ways age with its audience along the lines of a harry potter and one of the results of that is when you're a kid the question is what do your toys do when you're not around and then it's do your toys get lonely And then it's, what happened to my toys? And now it's literally the question of creationism. Now it's literally the question of how do we create life? In what ways do that life creation, what many of those kids are doing now, having children, in what ways does creating life impact your view of what do my toys do when I'm not around? I do have to
3: say something I appreciated as an audience member was the fact that they didn't linger too long on Forky's existential crisis. I don't even think it was like more than 20 minutes of the movie before he was really gung-ho after that pep talk from Woody. He still didn't understand a lot of what was going on, but I had been worried he was going to be obnoxious and kind of an anchor on the movie based on a lot of the commercials that I'd seen. So I was really glad to see that... It was a character I could root for. Yes, I said that about a spork. You know, that's part
2: of the magic of imagination as a child. And speaking of being able to root for them, though, that was my biggest problem with this film. In touching on the fact that I thought that the first movie was a deeply unlikable group of characters in a generally enjoyable situation, I found the second film really likable characters in a mostly enjoyable situation. I thought the third movie was likable characters and a very upsetting situation. I thought this movie was a bunch of like, you know, when Will and Grace came back, it was exciting for a little bit, and then you realized they were really over it, but were happy to bring it back for a generation that needed gay hope. Great. So in a world where gays have pose, gays don't need Will and Grace in the same capacity. Not that Will and Grace doesn't have a home, but it felt very much like these characters were the Will and Grace characters kind of coming back onto the set to help set things up. The stars of this movie were the new characters, your Duke Kaboom, your revitalized Bo Peep. And look, I did not care for Gabby. I am not a big, I don't root for Catra, but I found myself okay with Gabby's ending.
1: So what's interesting, what we found as we've watched these and we rewatched these and specifically watching them for Hanks is that like the first movie, like I, in a way, Woody is like the lifeblood of all these movies, and yet none of them are really about him. Like he's kind of at the center of the story, and yet the story is kind of about everyone else around them. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Like when you think about this movie, when you're thinking about characters, you're probably not thinking about Woody, You're probably thinking about Bo Peep, thinking about Duke. You're thinking about Ducky and Bunny. It's an interesting development that when you think of Toy Story, I think as a whole, it's Woody and Buzz. But I think if you think of the second movie, it's Jesse and the Prospector and everyone. I don't know what you think of when you think of three. Ken, maybe? Barbie and Ken? Ken? possibly. It's interesting to me that, especially who we're watching for here, like, Hanks as Woody is undeniable. I mean, like, of all the roles that he is, he might be maybe best known for Woody? I don't know. I mean, he's got so many iconic roles. Who knows? It's
2: up there. Forrest Gump, Castaway, and Woody.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me, though, to think about how Not that you could remove him from the story, but he's just, he's kind of the audience in a way. Like, he's just like, hey, we need some help. And then that's when Bo Peep is like, cool, let me put you on my back. We got this. I know who to help. I know, you know, I know who to get to help. All of that I'm good. And I think it's fascinating, Mike, as we've gone on, especially, you know, Kevo brought up the shorts and we covered the shorts back when we did Toy Story 3 that like, Woody is in all of those and none of those, like he's barely in any of them, right? But he's in all of them. So it's interesting to think about the macro level and the micro level. Macro, it's Woody and Buzz and then in the micro level it's almost never really Woody and Buzz. They're almost always separated. They're almost always taking a back seat in some way and I think that's really interesting, kind of clever storytelling.
0: Yeah, I think it helped in this movie especially I think for me, it's a little more apparent and it's, and I liked it and I could feel like this wasn't, uh, this didn't feel like the general storytelling sort of structure in a lot of ways. Like it felt more episodic already. It almost felt like a chain of episodes because first we're dealing a lot with Forky, it's like the Forky show, then it sort of becomes the Bo Peep show for a while, and then Woody's like the MacGuffin, but it really becomes like the Duke Kaboom minute. And then, you know, we have like our big uh, conclusion, and also a lot of this movie is sort of feels like they're cobbling themes together that they've used before to sort of flesh it out a little bit, because uh, Gabby seems like a twist on Lotso, a bit of that stuff about you know, being a valuable toy on eBay and all that, kind of like needing Woody from part two uh, so much and everything, but I kind of like. That about it because it just made me wonder where it was going to go next. Like, I felt less formulaic and uh, I enjoyed that about it. So, I mean, maybe that's just another general progression of their style of storytelling over at Pixar, uh, where it's just like, you know, try to make a left when people think you're making a right.
1: Or make a Toy Story 4 when people don't expect a Toy Story 4 at all, right? Now, Nico Kevo, do you guys, did, I don't know if you mentioned, do you have a favorite part of this movie or a favorite character or a favorite moment or a favorite scene?
2: I think. My favorite character is Forky because he provides something that I don't think I really get from Pixar movies on the whole. You have a lot of like Kevin from Up kind of humor and there's a good amount of referential humor in every second of The Incredibles or in a lot of even Toy Story 2. But Four keys sort of represented an abstractness, almost like somebody said, what would happen if the Groundlings got their hands on Toy Story? However, the best moment by far was every interpretation of the plush rush.
3: Oh my god.
2: Every time Ducky and Bunny- Give us the keys! Yeah. Every time they plotted the death of this old woman, I found myself- <laughs> deeply shiggled at the complexity of the moment.
1: I love about them that they're allowing Key and Peele to kind of just be Key and Peele without having to really rein it in. It feels like almost too, in certain ways, like aggressive for a rated G movie, but also it's just wonderful to see because they're
0: so funny. When the contrast of them being so cute and cuddly stuffed animals and, and sewn together, I think it's like one of my favorite things about it and how codependent they actually are about each other. Yeah, you're right. I think there's like a great contrast between their attitude and their presence, right?
2: Well, and I don't want to be like, mm, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contrast because as much as I enjoy that they're just key and peel, I do occasionally bemoan the death of animation and the art of voice acting as a unique concept. I don't want Key and Peel playing Key and Peel because if that had been the case when Toy Story came out, then I feel like Woody would have been a really nice guy and Buzz would have been like, ho ho ho, I want all space women to not have the right to vote. I don't think that's what we needed. Not to say that Key and Peele aren't fascinating characters and aren't tremendous voices whom they are, and they are brilliant, and I love everything they bring to media. And you know what? Yes, it is the clever original black comedian's turn to get to imprint themselves as is on these characters. But I remember for me, the turning point was really b movie that was the moment where I said, "Oh, we're not even just we're, we're not even fucking trying anymore." It's just Jerry Seinfeld as a bee, and we're not even trying. It's like if Ellen was cast in a movie about ostriches and her ostrich was a funny ostrich that loved to dance and liked other girl ostriches and was really mean to her staff.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yep.
2: I just feel like the fact that they are Kean peel super upset my understanding. Of the meta-narrative. Kristen Schaal doesn't play Kristen Schaal. And... Tim Allen doesn't need to play Tim Allen. So why do Key and Peele need to pay Key and Peele to be relevant?
1: So I think, and maybe this is weird backwards regression, I might have said this on a previous Toy Story, I don't know, but I feel like when I think of Tim Allen, I've never really watched Home Improvement. So when I think of Tim Allen, in spite of what I know about his politics and his sort of fall off the deep end recently, I just think of his personality as Buzz. And I think to your point about Kristen Shaw, I think she typically plays characters who are all very kind of similar to Trixie. I don't think it's wildly different from the type of characters and I think that there is I think you have you make a good point about just letting them be themselves as opposed to letting them be kind of character versions of themselves but I also kind of don't mind it because I think that it is a fresh voice and a fresh like there's not a lot of black voice actors from what I can think of there's not a lot of black voice actors in these movies so to have them be such a key part of this and to not really censor them other than like guys is rated G I'm willing to overlook The point you're making, which I think is valid, I agree with, but I'm willing to overlook it because I feel like
0: it brings something that the franchise kind of, you didn't know that it was lacking until it showed up. The Toy Story franchise overall has really been dependent on you recognizing the voices of these characters too. And I think there's a bit of a fault to that. Um, I know like in the voiceover community at large, like there's kind of a big problem with all of these already established film stars coming in and, you know, not stealing work, but, you know.
3: Taking up all the work. It's not exactly stealing, but you're going to be offered all the best roles, and you're going to want to take them, and then there's nothing left for anyone else. And it's not really stealing, but it is a little bit hoarding.
0: Yeah, and it's tough because I would love to hear like what Kevin Conroy could have done with Buzz Lightyear. You know, like he's my Batman voice, and it's really hard mm. to watch these new DC movies without him doing it. And it's like you just sort of latch on to certain feelings from certain tones of certain voice actors as it is and and then you bring with you what you already know from a lot of these people who you know their faces of and it's hard to sort of make a new connection or lose an old connection or whatever have you so like I definitely also uh, recognize like all of that going on.
3: So I don't know if it's just me but did anyone else feel like buzz lightyear's voice in this film was actually a little bit not in character i just i really feel like buzz's performance was very strange i know that i haven't watched the films in depth in a while but you know when it's something that you grow up on it's just sort of in your blood i haven't seen the little mermaid in forever but i could probably give you the gist of it very well and i just felt that there was something very off about buzz in this movie his thing about like you have an inner voice let me press my button all the time between that and the usual toy story manic panic mad mad world dash that they always do like this time to the extreme to the point where they were talking to the humans and controlling the car i really felt like a lot of the bonnie's toy stuff just felt really strange to me and buzzed the most out of all of them definitely stuck out as just kind of sounding very weird
2: well and i think part of that does have to do with something that the guys just said but i'm gonna kind of twist it on its head joey you had said that none of the movies really are about woody but i disagree there i think they are completely about woody they're about woody and buzz even when they are not directly about woody and buzz that first film is about is there room for two different kinds of dominant alpha personalities at the table and they find that yes There are room for two different dominant alpha personalities at the table. Great. The second film becomes, can Buzz lead them in Woody's absence while Woody goes on a journey of self-discovery? Now, sure, it's about Jessie, but Jessie only matters in the context of she matters to Woody. As part of a set, yeah. Yeah. And Buzz then represents this idea of where Woody was in the first film. He's now aware that even though he's the future toy, he is now living through what Woody's already gone through, this sense of identity, who am I, do I have the strength to be essentially the alpha of this pack? Now, the third film sees them all face a sort of existential crisis in terms of, we were toys that belonged to this person. They accepted that even though they were the alpha figures, they had a figure above them, they belonged to to Andy. Now what do these alphas these leaders of their tribe do when they've been told that their god has rejected them? Well you go find new gods and it becomes about Buzz and Woody's journeys as the leader of this group where honest to God, Woody took a really lead position in that in the third film where Buzz became kind of like the emotional manager. The best way I can put it is Woody became the Kermit while Buzz kind of became the scooter, and Buzz is running the show, but, you know, Woody's the man in front. Well, bring it on home. How does that tie into four? Well, so I think that Buzz being off is a result of the character transformation that he had to go through. One of the things is that the toys are clearly iterations of the toy as a reflection of the child who most recently and further back played with them. To that end, other buzzes are very intelligent because they are their in-box Buzz self. They are determined by the back of their box. But the buzz that Andy gets is, oh, he's wonderment, he's amazement, because he represents the future to Andy, so he is the future. So are you
3: getting to the notion that Buzz is stunted and regressed because he's owned by a six-year-old? Who no longer sees him as futuristic, but rather an
2: old futuristic space toy. Yeah, she does make him be the mailman, doesn't she? So he becomes retrofuturism a la Tomorrowland, as opposed to the eternal promise of futurism a la Discoveryland.
3: Fuck, okay, I don't trust that that was on purpose, but I like it but I don't trust that it was on purpose.
2: Well, and it's even why Bo Peep is able to transform into the independent, strong woman warrior that she is. By virtue of not being owned, she's not trapped by the determinants of people's impression of what a sheep herder would be she gets to determine herself as a lost toy
3: okay i get all of that but i understand the metaphor but that doesn't turn a ceramic lamp into a cloth skirt and that bothers
2: me well i also didn't realize that her girls were also like i that it's all so detachable and it's supposed to be what the fuck ceramic lamp pops on and off
3: like that well i did always question that as well she has always been a porcelain figure with porcelain figure sheep that all came off the lamp base and could be played with and i even appreciate the psychology that they put into bo peep in both the film and the lamp short to show what it's like for this lamp who was given a chance to be a toy and had to go back to being a lamp it's a really awesome narrative but like she used to be all porcelain and now her skirt was cloth it's just always going to bug 11 year old (laughs) kevin
0: The Bo Peep conundrum is like the pre-Forky problem where, you know, you said it yourself, like she was a lamp. And then is it that because she was played with like a toy that she gained sentience and then it couldn't be taken away when she was sort of thrown aside and becoming a lamp again? She was conscious of everything going on around her, even if people weren't of her? Like, it just breaks my brain.
2: I'm going to engage on that. I think because of Cheryl Burnett, I think we know that Objects that are interacted with on an emotional level, Uh, Cheryl Burnett being the chair in the closet with Woody in the beginning of the film, that is actually Carol Burnett as that chair. So because of that, we know that objects that represent something significant... Possess the ability to engage meaningfully. And I'm going to be really honest with you. When I was a little kid, I had some dark, is scary problem. And I had a Winnie the Pooh holding balloons nightlight. And as an adult, I am very still attached to the idea of Winnie the Pooh with a balloon very specifically. Because when you're a child and you're in the dark and you're alone, the thing that gives you light becomes representative of hope. And it becomes representative of the thing that keeps you strong. And that would imbue that figure with this world's definition of sentience.
3: And I think it probably varies from object to object and toy to toy. I remember when we were in the middle of watching the movie and it showed the bottom half of that zebra toy, I was horrified. And then we cut to the club and he's fine, you know, sometimes the cat gets you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I think that's part of what they were trying to do with Toy Story 4 because we're asking these questions that sound
2: horrific and they're trying to say, it's not that bad, guys. Relax. But rewind to Toy Story 0. We have to talk about Toy Story 0 for one second, though. Tin Toy. So I've I've been obsessed with Tin Toy like my whole life. I hated Toy Story. I loved Tin Toy. It was something that because I used to go to Disney World a lot, you would see like little clips of it. And I always thought that Tinny was the cutest fucking thing I'd ever seen in my life. And there is a Toy Story attraction in the Disney parks called Toy Story Midway Mania. And at the exit, there is a picture of Tin Toy. And there are several photos of me posing as Tin Toy with Tin Toy.
1: I thought you were going somewhere completely different. Mike, what was the story? Because I don't remember offhand of like the original, like the original idea they had for Woody and Buzz when they first, like it was way darker, I think, right?
2: Oh no, it was this. It was Tin Toy. It was a little wooden soldier Tin Toy that ching, 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 ching. He's talking about the version when Woody
3: was a ventriloquist dummy, like Howdy Doody. And Uh, Buzz was a smaller smaller action action figure, figure. kind of more like small fry.
2: Yeah, it was, that was one of the storyboard ideas. So there were like a hundred iterations of toy story before they hit the one that they really loved but the very first idea they had for toy story ever like john lasseter talks about sitting with a piece of paper in a diner the very first idea ever was a little wooden soldier and a little spaceman it changed from there but the first first idea was essentially tin toy and kind of sort of a take on buck
0: rogers Wasn't that toy also in, like, one of the very first Pixar shorts as, like, a test as well, if I recall? I remember seeing that in, like, a documentary.
2: Yeah, because they had all of that model work done, they created a short called Tin Toy to prove the validity of the story and the design work. It
3: was basically, in a lot of ways, a rough pilot for the Toy Story movie. There wasn't really any talking, and it was about this little tin soldier toy who's
0: trying to make an upset baby happy. Wow, they've, they've come a long way.
3: Oh, you should look it up. It is it is rough stuff.
0: I remember there being like a crazy baby animation. I mean, those. I'm old enough to remember when going to the movies in the summertime, those Pixar shorts would run before certain movies, and people would just be like, what the hell are these? Are these like Coke commercials? And then no ad would come up, and you'd just be perplexed. And then years later, I come to find out they were the early Pixar shorts, so...
2: Well, those early Pixar shorts were frequently used to design the materials for the next Pixar film. You would frequently see them working with the aerodynamics or the visuals that would be in the following film. It was a great way for them to test their skills on certain concepts to make sure that those concepts would play out well in a full-length feature. So basically like the Lonely Island sketches from Saturday Night Live. But they were not done like well in advance. They were done at the time of the film they came out with as a way to perfect the next movie while this one was in development and show a little bit more what they could do. Mm, That's why you'll frequently see
3: in a Pixar short themes from what will be the next movie.
1: Okay that makes sense cuz I know that there's a lot of interconnectivity and like oh you actually saw this doll for the first time in this or whatever so I, I that makes a lot more sense the actual practical application
3: like, I think was Lava proof of concept for Moana and yes. Day and Night was proof of concept for
2: the movie Soul that's still to come out? Right, things like that. And they used the birds in the, the birds short to develop the aerodynamics in the next film. They think a lot about ways to do that. So that's why, because they had already designed The Incredibles at the time of Finding Nemo, The Incredibles is a comic book in the waiting room at the dentist's office in Finding Nemo.
0: Gotcha. They got real crazy with the Easter eggs from there on out. (laughs) It's like not just, oh, we're, we're previewing technology we're working on, but we're also showing you, like, what's to come in our actual movies.
3: Disney will do everything that they can to make you happy for money. Also, I want to hit two really
2: important points. Number one, I get to do this. I love that they said we have to go back because that means I get to make another we have to go back reference on a show with Joey. Always the love of my life.
1: Which, by the way, so real quick, we're watching it, Mike, as you know, on Too Fast, Too Forever. We're watching second season of Lost because Michelle Rodriguez is in it. And Nico mentions in an episode, we have to go back. Joe, we're in season two. Like, that's season... Four, that's four, yeah. Right? That's the Oceanic Six, baby. Yeah, and so <laughs> like, it just completely goes over Joe's head. I'm like, do, like, I'm on mute like, cracking up, like, he has no <laughs> idea, kind of, not like a spoiler but like, kind of a spoiler. And so then Nico, like, messaged me a couple days later, like, did you hear I was like, oh no, of course I hear, like, I just can't say anything because like, I can't, like, because Joe doesn't even know what happens to Ana Lucia, like there's so much to know, but yes. Does he know, like see you in another life, brother? Does he know like Desmond? Yes, didn't... he knows okay. Desmond. Desmond's shown up, yes. But, uh, Nico, please and forever just keep making lost references that Joe will not get thank you very much
2: well and because the problem is my favorite the only two characters I think are good people on the whole show are Juliet and Ben Linus and of course I'm married to Desmond he's only met one character I even like
0: and he's not even Ben yet right he's Henry Gale no he doesn't no he doesn't know, he doesn't know Ben yet he doesn't know Juliet
1: or Ben
2: he just knows Desmond and only in the most indirect way
1: Does he know Henry Gale yet? No, he does not know Henry Gale yet. That's coming soon. We keep pushing it out. I knew that
3: immediately because I was a gay little Wizard of Oz dork, and I was like, no, 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 that's Dorothy's uncle.
2: Well, and then the other really amazing thing that I get to do on this show is, I do believe that we are discussing Toy Story. Are we not, folks? Yes, we are. That means we get to talk about the Toy Story shorts. So I'm going to bring up Partasaurus Rex. Why do I bring up Parasaurus Rex? Oh, I know why. Because it was scored by none other than a gentleman by the name of Brian Trinceau, BT. Now- Here's the thing about BT. I'm going to bring it back another way. BT is so prolific in what he does and his involvement with Partisaurus Rex in particular primed him for a very unique job. Thanks to his work with Partisaurus Rex, BT was contracted to score 40 original hours of music for Shanghai Disney's Tomorrowland.
3: Which I still need to listen to. I just have faith that it is fantastic. I don't even need to worry about it. I'm just certain it is.
2: So whether it's... Now and again, where it's pop music and Britney Spears and, and sync with BT songs, or it's Fast and Furious where he did the score, or it's this show where I can kind of vaguely pretend I get to bring it up. Everything's coming up, Nico.
0: That was my favorite of the shorts. Joey, I didn't... That wasn't trivia when we covered it, though, I don't believe, but...
1: There's almost no trivia on IMDb of the shorts, but I think if I had seen a thing about BT, I would have mentioned it if only for Nico's sake. So let's... While we're on the topic of shorts, let's talk about Lamp Life, because this movie made me realize I want and need a Jesse Bo Peep movie together, because they're both so wonderful that Hug at the End was not enough for me. But Bo Peep has lived more of a life in these seven minutes of Lamp life then I feel like like In spite of the fact that these toys all go through crazy nonsense in RC cars, chasing after moving trucks, acting as GPS, like doing everything that the toys should not do, I feel like the life Bo Peep lives is bananas. And I feel so bad for her, but, you know, she's doing her thing.
0: Yeah, this one, I think I mentioned to you, Joey, too. Like, I felt like this could have been in the movie. It almost felt like a a deleted scene or something. It could have been in the movie. I think this would have worked in the film. And I think people were, you know, curious. Ever since, maybe, the, was it the second movie where she wasn't around very much or something? They were like, what happened to Bo Peep? Where'd she go? What? And we get her now, you know, as her final form, I guess. Like, she's fully powered up and everything. But to, to see that journey, I think, would have been really interesting in the theater, too. So I, I like this short. I thought it was pretty well played. And it totally fooled me, or tried to fool me, that that was Tom Hanks when it was his brother. What
1: sort of surprised me about this movie is how short it is and it's like a hundred minutes but i think without the credits without the credit scenes it's like 89 or 90 and i know that toy story one was like what 75 or 80 like i think they've all been short but this felt like really short and i don't know if we could have gotten the full seven minutes but like we could have gotten a two or three minute version of that i think and i think it would have fit because i think she deserves a backstory other than just does anybody know is it a disney plus original or where did it land because i don't remember it see i don't remember seeing it before the thing in- it came out this year too like it didn't come 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 out last year so does anybody know where this came from
2: so one of the things that i do know is that pixar often makes these things with no exact home in mind oftentimes the other scenes are actually scenes that didn't make the film they had the storyboard x done they had the modeling x done do something cute with it so i do know that that plays a factor And when it's a movie for
3: kids, you have to be keeping in mind runtime and their attention span before they start to get cranky, too.
2: Let's not forget that Toy Story was the film that had its own ABC Saturday morning interstitials for a while. So they are infamous for their creation of unique content designed to keep Toy Story immersive. And I think that's one of the ways in which, you know, I love your thing about Toy Stories or even Toys Story, but...
1: Thank you, please. It's an attorney's general situation. I appreciate you for respecting it. Codes red.
2: Calls the sack. So it's one of those things where I feel like it's meant to be every toy's story. It's a doll's house, right? So this is kind of a doll's life. And
0: it's every toy's story. Well another thing I thought that was interesting about this short uh, like I thought like lamp life was a pretty sort of there was like a double meaning there because it felt like a lighting simulation that they ran before sort of finishing off the final round of the movie's effects. Like, this would have come out before Toy Story 4 if that was the intention, like their previous shorts, was to sort of flash their new tech at us and be like, look how great the lighting got. Because, like, that's my favorite part of the movie, Joey. Like, we've talked about how we got stuck on, like, um, you know, the dust bunnies and the rays of light and all of, like, the refraction and the crazy amount of lighting simulation going on in this movie is just, like, insane. Like, I've been saying in previous episodes, like, it feels live-action it looks like like what's the if you put humans in here with the rest of this animation, I wouldn't fall into that uncanny valley anymore. Uh, so I enjoyed the, the short on that level as well. I thought it just looked really great too. So I just looked up on the
1: Pixar fandom page, and apparently in the original version, the original script or something of Toy Story 4, Bo Peep went into much greater detail in terms of her what happened to her, right? And ultimately it was cut from Toy Story 4 and evolved into Lamp Life. So I don't know if it was ever going to be a seven-minute thing. I don't know if it was going to be toward the beginning or toward the end of the movie. It would probably make more sense narratively toward the beginning, even though Lamp Life essentially sets it at the end. But it was originally meant for Toy Story 4 in some version got cut i guess got added to some things got changed then was released as a disney plus original super bowl weekend january 31st of this year so it is a disney plus original but yeah, it kind of has a an interesting development i guess
2: because it really does feel like an update to when she loved me. It feels like when she loved me for The Office Generation. You know, Cutting Edge TV, when Toy Story 2 came out, was once and again starring Seal Ward, who was actually the most beautiful woman to ever be alive. And the cutting edge of comedy later on is rashida jones who is credited on this and actually rashida jones we should note rashida jones suffered tremendously to create this film and that is a huge part in where she came into the me too movement and had to distance herself from john Lasseter, and that ultimately did result in john Lasseter's ousting from the company his actions not her coming forward of course her coming forward was the only only thing she could do Right, So it's important to note that this is the officeification of Toy Story in many ways. And it goes from, look at how sad that woman is that no one wants her, which is a man's definition of a woman's sadness, to a woman's quest for her own strength and independence determined by her own sense of self and determination of self-worth. And that's where this is a very different story. And as a two-minute sequence in the film, it would have impact. As a seven-minute Disney Plus Super Bowl weekend special, its own movie motherfucking called Lamp Life. You know, this this is just food all over the place if you're a <laughs> Bo Peep fan.
1: Seriously. Any other thoughts about Toy Story 4? Anything else that we want to cover? Anything else that uh,
0: we love or don't love? I had one massive note that I forgot was Coming in this movie, every time I watch it, it just blows my mind and it sort of just goes back to the last thing I said about, you know, this being very live action. The cat. Holy shit, where they've come from since that first dog in the first movie to the cat in this movie. Oh my
2: god, yeah. And I want to comment on the nature of filmmaking and cinema as an idea and i'm gonna liken it in some ways over simplistically to two adaptations of a single source material neither of which is in any way shape or form remotely similar to the source material and then kind of apply it here so house on haunted hill is a novel that's been adapted a trillion times but two really notable ones are the god awful intentionally vincent price house on haunted hill And then we have The Haunting of Hill House, this brilliant TV show that Netflix produced. And The House on Haunted Hill had a remake in the 90s, which I think had Tay Diggs. And it was just one of those exploitative, cheap, shitty horror films that you almost can't believe wasn't made for TV. Like, it's hard to believe that wasn't Candyman 73 and a half. It's really bad. It's like the Tremors TV show, right? So I find myself thinking about comparing House on Haunted Hill and The Haunting of Hill House as entities. And The Haunting of Hill House is this complex, nuanced story about the quality of humanity as it relates to finding who you are in your family. House on Haunted Hill is basically a boobs slasher, and it's really so silly how hard they have to work to scare you because their only access to Fear is the obvious however thanks to the format of the haunting of hill house there's an opportunity to delve into the notions of fear and the ways in which life itself makes us scared now when i think about the methods of fear in toy story 1 i think about sid's little spider baby doll head and how it kind of has to be a little bit Hellraiser pinheadsy to be scary because the limitations of the animation was such that you could really only be scary in overt ways. Fear in the second movie is in the expression on the face of the prospector because they could get not quite human to look frightening. They couldn't quite get people frightening yet. Fear in the third one is finally being able to express true emotion on these dolls' faces in the form of burning them to death. Here These dummies were so terrifying in... Like, I mean, number one, they were also kind of like... If they were cute twinks, I would have hit on them on scruff. But, like, number two, (laughs) they are specifically creepy because of the way they're able to move. They're creepy because of the subtlety of the paint differences that show wear and tear in a way that unsettles us. And it's a specific, delicate choreography of their movement.
3: I completely agree. The way they're just subtly listing to one side as they run with their hands flapping. Kind of like a Pee Wee Herman, if you will.
2: I was gonna say like Tracy Morgan and Jane Krakowski running down the hallway on 30 Rock. There's a very muppetiness to them, but it's more rigid than that it's like a zombie muppet and that's a sort of level of intimate fear based on movement and kinesiology that frankly the early films would strive to have but technology wasn't there very delicate and very subtle, yes. Think about when the first Toy Story began production. It had to be like 1994, 1993, when you think about the lead time.
1: Tom Hanks has said that each of these movies takes like five years, so it could be as early as like 90, 1990, maybe 1991, maybe even earlier than what you think. But yeah, it's it's a long, long time.
2: Well, and think about the fact that the world's most powerful supercomputer in 1992 is less powerful than an iPhone 2 was. So all of the technology used in the moon landing for instance is less powerful than a sega genesis i want you to think about like really truly technology is better that changes the idea of what you can do with it to touch on two things that kind of connect to this i'd love to see what a polar express might look like now robert zemeckis you owe me a lot of nightmares back i feel like polar express could look cool and you know what I'm going to give it up to a really not loved Keanu movie. And I think Through a Scanner Darkly would be a fantastic film to reinterpret. With modern technology. From what I understand about the
3: film, I think it would look a lot like the Amazon Prime show Undone, which I absolutely loved and think is quite beautiful.
2: So I think that in a lot of ways, Toy Story 4 is kind of... It's a proof of concept pilot. It just needed to prove that there was validity to the Toy Story narrative outside of the Andy's Toy Story narrative. We needed to know that these toys mattered outside of Andy. And I do love a lot of the subtle... Tea here and there, where Bonnie is clearly Latina, and that the family that takes in Bo Peep from the back—the dad looks like Obama. There were a lot of nice touches to incorporate other families, but Kevo, you'd actually had a theory on what one of the great values of the carnival.
3: Oh, so they can rotate cast in and out. Yeah, peel could come back for the next one. They could choose not to. We could introduce new characters. We can somehow run into Bonnie's toys again. I think that was one of the funniest lines from Lamp Life, where the little Polly Pocket officer was like, no, that story is unbelievable. That didn't happen to you. But we've seen these bizarre things happen to these toys
2: many times. Well, and on the subject of talking about characters that we didn't really touch on enough, Gabby Gabby, I have some compelling problems here. Number one, I didn't recognize it was Christina Hendricks, probably because she didn't have boobs. Number two, I... Found myself frustrated because I'm just like, I'm just double checking. That was the fastest incarnation of a villain I've ever seen right? You know, when you think about the fact that Spike is meant to be terrifying on Buffy until he's meant to be a lovable puppy, and then they want us to remember that he's scary, but now he's a good guy in a way that Angel never was. And like, shut the fuck up. Don't keep manipulating me. He's a fucking killer or he's not. Do you want him to still be scary when I go back and watch the old shit, or are you only concerned with tomorrow? Okay, Garth, calm down, take your pill. So, I think where I'm going with this is I accept when over the course of Three years, you want me to believe that Amanda Woodward has lost all of her trust issues with men that she gets because of her father to learn to trust Peter. Okay, I can accept that because it's four years and you've softened them slowly, right? But I was actually convinced that Gabby was going to have her ventriloquist dummies like organ snatch his voice box out and in that regard she is not a compelling character to see receive a happy ending and that's part of where i think perhaps to make another off the wall comparison i think that's where game of thrones really in a lot of ways did something that was the only thing it could do Who the fuck watched Game of Thrones because everybody was such a good goddamn person that you wanted to see succeed? No, no, no. You want to see good people succeed, you watch Parks and Rec. But you don't watch Game of Thrones to watch people get their good due. You watch Game of Thrones to watch people get their bad due paid, right? It's why you watch Sunny. You watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia to watch bad people punished horribly for their terrible actions. Gabby, in that regard, is... A sunny-ish character. She's a fucking nightmare. And we're told to root for her to have a happy ending. Now, I'm able to, because of my characters are imprinted on by the dolls that own them and the dolls that love them, I think in that way we can kind of imprint this little girl's lostness, this little girl's need for love, and this doll whose voice box indicates that it is meant for love— Right, this idea of purpose and need coming together to form a symbiotic relationship in terms of this mystic shared psyche that we're saying the toys share with the people. So I think I have problems with Gabby getting a happy err ending than I feel Woody and Buzz got to one another. Because to go back to my earlier point, these films are still all about Buzz and Woody. This was Woody learning that. The other toys would be okay without him again but he wasn't ready to let go of andy the last time he learned that in the second film he had to learn that lesson again and this time buzz had to let go buzz has taken that alpha position in the family and like andy passing them on buzz passing woody on is a way to release him from this emotional relationship but gabby got everything she wanted a family. A little girl who's going to love her more than some little girl who is famous for finding new toys every day is ever going to want her. She got the voice box. Like, she got everything. Woody only got happiness by giving up things he wanted. Woody did nothing wrong. I'm not sure why we're still occasionally scripting children's shows as moral plays, but, you know... As time goes on, we're going to have to start giving things like that a
3: lot more serious thought because those things really do imprint on kids and even adults to a degree. Hey, you know, some people never grow up. That's getting obvious to me the older I get. And I think we need to be careful about the behavior that we are saying is permissible, even in something as ridiculous as Toy Story 4.
2: Because the other places that we see what I'm going to call borderline dangerous behavior, such as pulling on a gas pedal, the other places we see that kind of behavior where creatures' lives are put in mortal jeopardy, the cat tearing the doll to pieces, we're shown that that actually is emblematic of either psychotic behavior, the cat, or behavior that we recognize is so insane so wild that it's funny here's a person committing the kinds of acts that we are being told with consistency are emblematic of poor choices or mental instability and we're rewarding her by that token why wasn't stinky pete rewarded why wasn't lotso more directly rewarded the last time somebody was this evil in a toy story movie and got rewarded it was oh shit it was woody
1: ha yeah. I mean, Woody is above the law, though, right? <laughs> he is the law. <laughs> Woody is exempt. Woody can get whatever he wants. This is Woody's world. We're all just living in it. Woody's world, great name for something. I don't know what, but... Uh... All
2: sheriffs are bastards.
1: A-S-A-B. Whew. Speaking of, I love when Woody uses his uh, pull string to lasso forky. I think that's great. Mike, any other thoughts about Toy Story 4 before we nominate this for some awards and play a couple games?
0: uh no all my other thoughts can be found over on Kianu club when we discuss toy story 4 and go
1: way more in depth
0: about Dookaboom and everything else
1: i want to point out our good move that we made in having nico and kevo on here because like we already talked about this for an hour and like we probably could have done something here but i'm glad that we brought you in with the new perspectives to you know talk about bt for an hour so that was great so thank you both so much but any other thoughts about this movie or lamp life before we ask a couple questions and nominate for some awards?
2: Growing up, the only two things I loved as much as Golden Girls were Designing Women and Unsolved Mysteries. So I have spent my entire life with a soft spot for Annie Potts. I watched the TV adaptation of Dangerous Minds starring Annie Potts, which was shockingly closer to a TV adaptation of Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit than you'd think. Nothing you just said
3: surprises me.
2: So all that said and done... I just want to say that I'm an Annie Pothead and I think she is amazing.
1: Alright, so the first question, a very difficult question. I don't remember the answer from past. I think we've said no. We ask, because obviously you know that we've done the Tom Tom Club, we're coming to the end of the Tom Tom Club, because we finished Cruise a while ago, we're doing Tom Hanks now, but we've been asking all along, could the other be in this movie? So do you think Tom Cruise could have played the role of Woody the Sheriff? Or if not, is there a character in this movie that he could play? I think there's one very obvious one that he could do. I don't know if he would be Canadian. As Tom Cruise, he would have to be like some like hyper aggressive American which I don't think would be as funny or as charming. But I think that he could play Duke Kaboom. But Nico Kevo what do you think? Could Tom Cruise play Sheriff Woody or if not, what role do you think he could play?
2: I don't think he would make a good Woody at all. I think no, he's, he's like too short. Yeah, but I think he'd be an obvious choice. I mean, if he could wear lifts, he could play Buzz.
1: I think the first movie if we if I remember right, Mike, we said we would put him as Buzz.
3: I think if they had Tom Cruise instead of a Duke Kaboom, it should have been what was his racing movie where he met Nicole. Days Kennedy? of Thunder. Yeah. Then it should be a it should have been a Days of Thunder toy and that would have been hilarious. No,
2: better yet, it should have been an eyes wide shut toy.
1: Get out cold trickle or yeah okay I, I can see a cold trickle action figure
0: i think what i mentioned last time joey was if it was a ethan hunt action figure a, a la action carl or whatever the, the ones that showed up in this one like a little gi joe style ethan hunt yes
2: Oh, no, a Magnolia figure. It's his character from Magnolia. And when you press his stomach, he indicates that he is a narcissist with an emotionally
1: broken past. And he wants you to respect the cock. So it's like a McFarlane toy style. Respect
2: the cock.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that scene is
2: burned in my brain for the rest of my life. Amy man music playing in the
1: background. I'm also wondering, you know, to the eyes wide shut, a Dr. Bill action figure with a stethoscope and the Fidelio mask. And the cloak. Yep. So basically, no, but he could be Any character. I like that a lot better. Which toy would he play from one of his movies? Or, you know, if we don't want to do a cold trickle, we could also have a Maverick fighter pilot action figure, too. There's got to be, like, Diamond Selects, you know, like that company.
2: Oh, shit! He should play a Transformer of an air bomber. Oh, where he becomes the plane. And he's Ace Maverick, fast-flying
1: airplane in the entire fleet, mother Frencher. Love it. The other question that we ask every episode, and I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, because I'm sure, pretty sure it is almost always yes, and it's been yes in each one of these. We asked for a while, is Tom Hanks on the road to becoming America's dad? He's known as America's dad. We always asked, do his actions in the movie add to his status as America's dad? About a third of the way through the podcast, we're like, oh no, he's firmly America's dad. So since then, we've been asking, is he still America's dad? He
2: just beat COVID!
1: He did. But I mean, like, specifically in this movie...
2: He's America's dad, and Rita is America's mom, and we should be grateful for all of it. What role does that make Chet?
0: Chet's our brother, man.
2: Is that the rapping one?
0: Yes. Yeah, it's the rapping one.
2: Okay, so the rapping one can be Wilson, and then the one that was on Happy Endings... Colin. He can go with me to a Beth Orton concert.
3: You leave the original Alex Maines alone. He died to try and get us back to the alien planet, okay?
2: No one would buy concert tickets and then kill themselves! I'm gonna go be on Unreal, you guys!
1: So, okay, side note. Yesterday's episode of High School Slumber Party that Brian put out, which is a month ago, as you're listening to this, if Mike leaves this part of the podcast in, they're talking about Shiri Appleby because she was in Swim Fan, and they're talking about what she's doing now. And Brian's guest says, Oh, yeah, she's on some like show that's something about like a reality show. And Brian's like, Oh, that sounds weird. And they moved on. And I was like, Hold on. Brian, I need to tell you how good Unreal is, and the fact that it is a lifetime show that I watched and I love. Loved. I need you to know how good this is and how awesome this is and what it's about. And he's like, oh, that actually sounds pretty good. I was like, we still respect Shiri Appleby. She is still active in the community. She is still wonderful.
3: Some of us have always loved Shiri Appleby ever since she was the queen of not being able to say hard INGs on the WB playing Liz Parker and now having returned to direct several episodes of Roswell, New Mexico as well and having like my tweet being excited about it she's my girlfriend
1: also to bring it into this podcast she was in charlie wilson's war which brian and kyle covered twice even recently on i mean i guess they would have recorded that after he recorded this episode but they did a revisited of charlie wilson's war she plays one of tom hanks's aides in that i mean sherry appleby is everywhere
2: so real quick we were talking about how all of the shorts in toy story pixar stuff are like usually cut scenes the only other person i can think of who cannibalizes themselves anywhere near that hard is aaron sorkin who beyond the fact that he loves to reuse lines of his own work When he can't use something, he just finds another way to use it. So he tried to make a movie about Philo Farnsworth, the inventor of the TV, and it didn't work out. So he made the fact that somebody tried to make a movie about Philo Farnsworth, the inventor of the TV, not working out. Part of a TV pilot. After that TV show failed, he got given the opportunity to make a play about Philo Farnsworth inventing the television. This guy just can't stop being like, oh, it got cut from the movie? Let me see where it can go. As a matter of fact, the West Wing pilot is cut scenes from the American president when the American president was over three hours long.
0: No way. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. The Tom Hanks awards, the Woodies, the best and the worst of Tom Hanks's filmography. Best film, we have the two and three nominated. Do we want to throw this one in there too? I think, Mike. I think my ranking goes
0: two, three, four, one. Okay. The only reason I'm two, four, three, one is because of how much I champion Forky. Because I know. Just, I know. I mean, just trying to figure him out helps me wake up in the morning and keep going day to day. At this point, you know, it's just the conundrum of Forky. Alright, then I will put it on the list. When we did Toy Story 3, I think I said I liked it more than
1: 2, but thinking back while watching this, I remember more of 2 than I do of 3, and like just Jesse and Jesse's song in 2, it's just number 1. Uh, Best role, we already have Sheriff Woody. Best ensemble, we have the Toy Story franchise already. Best fight, is there a fight that sh- that Woody gets into in this movie?
2: Well, doesn't he get into a fight in the dugout after they say the girls can't play?
1: Well, no, that's after he pisses for like 35 seconds or a minute and a half or something. Ah, I was going to do the piss thing.
0: And he called the umpire a penis with a hat on. Woody, (laughs) that is. Does Woody dance? I mean, obviously we know that Duke Kaboom dances. Duke Kaboom
1: poses. There's the whole dance sequence or the pose sequence, but I don't think Woody dances. Woody and Bo spin.
2: Ooh, I do love that. Yeah, they kind of spin. They have a Disney princess moment.
1: Best party scene. What what are they in when they meet Duke It's a pinball machine. Pinball machine. Okay. So I'll say pinball party, pinball machine party. Best outfit wardrobe we have the Toy Story franchise. Best death he does not die. Best line or best freak out. Does Woody have a line? I don't know that Woody has a line that I remember in these movie in this movie particular.
2: I mean, he has It's all I have left. So, like, he kind of does have an existential crisis in which he says he has no purpose in life but to continue marshalling other toys to behave for the children that no longer want him.
3: Specifically trash. He has nothing left except protecting garbage.
2: From wanting to be in the garbage.
1: By the way, that song, that Randy Newman song nominated for an Oscar that year, did not win. It lost to the...
2: 3-6 Mafia. It's hard out here for a pimp.
1: Yes. The Academy Award winning 3-6 Mafia singers of the song Slob on My Knob Like Corn on the Cob.
2: Who would later be in the pilot of Studio 60 which is the Aaron Sorkin show that referenced the Farnsworth script.
1: <laughs> oh, it lost to I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. Right, 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 right. The biopic about Elton John's Life, where they added a new song to, I guess, chronicle that part of Elton John's Life about that movie. But also that year, Randy Newman and his brother, Thomas Newman, both nominated for Best Original Score, but both lost to Joker because Joker won so many goddamn Oscars. Best or Worst Hanks Love Story, don't think there really is one in here. And then Best... What? What the the fuck? the, The Bo Peep, Joey. We've been waiting for movies to nominate it. All right, so we got Tom Hanks and Annie Potts in Toy Story 4.
3: Annie Potts said she was going to later rest the question of whether or not she would choose Woody or Buzz. That part, I am going to say, no, that was not in the movie. There's never literally been nothing ever between Bo Peep and Buzz. But is there something between Bo Peep and Woody? I've kind of thought that since,
2: like, the first movie. And I ship Buzz and Jesse, like, really hard. Like, I just want them to bang and, like, like, like make little baby space toys. Well,
1: she loves Spanish Buzz. He just She just needs the Spanish Buzz. There's a joke in the first movie, I think, right? Isn't it, Mike, where, like, she's, like, come around my block sometime and she has the blocks right there? So, like...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Bo Peep and Woody have had an on-again, off-again thing for four movies now, so...
2: You're the one erasing the one it! Saying, no! You straight
1: eraser! It was more my Bo Peep is so independent she doesn't need a man... Type of response. <laughs> Genuinely. Who run
2: the world? Sheep.
1: <laughs> Billy Goat and Gruff. Best non-Hanks actor, male or female? We have already Tim Allen as Buzz. Do we want to nominate anybody else? We have Joan Cusack as Jesse as well. Do we want to nominate anybody else for the Toy Story franchise as a whole?
3: I don't feel comfortable nominating anyone from the original Andy Toys for this movie. I don't think any of them had enough screen time.
2: But I did think Tony Hale... Oh, Tony Hale and oh, Annie Potts. Tony. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm.
3: I also do want to nominate for special recognition uh, Melissa Villaseñor, who I've always loved from Saturday Night Live for the very brief appearance as Karen Beverley. <laughs>
1: okay, noted. Why am I alive? So, overall, for all the Toy Story, we have best film, two, three, and four. Best role, Tom Hanks as Woody. Best ensemble, Toy Story franchise. Best fight, Buzz and Woody versus the Misfit Toys in the first movie. Woody and Slink against the monkey in Toy Story 3, Best Party Scene, the Pinball Machine Party, Pinball Machine Party, in Toy Story 4, Best Hanks Outfit Wardrobe, Cowboy Outfit, Run Like the Wind Bullseye, and There's a Snake in My Boot, for Best Line, Lucky Are You Shrink-Wrapped, I'm Missing an Arm, for Best Freakout, and You Are a Toy, for Best Freakout, Best Music for the Franchise, Best Love Story, and then a handful of nominees, for Best Non-Hanks Actor, Tim Allen, Tony Hale, Annie Potts, and Joan Cusack, 19 nominations for the Toy Story films, deservedly so. But Nico, Kevo, thank you both so, so, so very much for joining us and giving us things to talk about on this episode. Please plug what you want to plug, however you want to plug it.
2: You can check us out over on X's for Podcast, where we cover the newest X-Men comics every week on Mondays and Thursdays. Don't forget to also check out HTML on Tuesdays, where we talk about all sorts of media stuff right now, firmly ensconced in the Fantastic Four universe, over with this guy over here, Joey. You can find us on Too Fast Too Forever as well as me on Twitter and Instagram being kind of like, kind of nerdy and kind of thoughty at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, Kevo, cute guy. Where can everybody find you?
3: Uh, You can also find me on the tweeters and the Instagram at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can find these super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero comics that we've been producing for the last few years over at KidRiotComics.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you again so very much, both of you. And Mike, next episode, we have two more Hanks movies. Next episode, we are doing Tom Hanks as his cousin, question mark, Mr. Rogers, in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Next Friday, right here on Hank's The Memories. Looking forward to it. Missed it in theaters. Have you seen it at all or no? Nope, haven't seen it at all.
2: Are you guys going to cover his COVID updates? No. It'd be like doing a David Lynch filmography and not covering David Lynch Reads the Weather.
1: Or now now it's like, what, what's his new thing about numbers?
0: I don't know. I saw him interview a monkey on Netflix. I thought it was great. No,
1: his you know? new thing now every day is that he does, um, well, he does the weather report, but he was doing for a while. Today's number is dot, dot, dot. And he, he still does it every day. He does a weather report in the morning and in the evening he does, or in the afternoon or whatever, he does today's number is so, you know, for all things, Hanks, for the memories, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclub pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, Hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week for the Mr. Rogers movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Check out HTML, access for Podcast, Too Fast, Too Forever, Third Time to Charm, all 27 shows, I think, at cageclub.me slash shows. And just, you know, let, send us a note, let us know you're listening. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Nico Vassillo and Kevo Reese of HTML Husbands Talking More or Less. And we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories.